It's March 11th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover a couple of local science and tech stories, and then we'll move on to the tech calendar. We'll speak with Franklin Allaire about the upcoming Science Olympiad, and then we have Ken Hensarling here to, to join us from Hawaiian Telecom to tell us about the annual HT University. And finally, we'll learn about the 20th anniversary of teaching colleges and community also known as TCC, an online conference about education technology. Finally, we'll learn about the uh, 21st uh, anniversary of that event. Yes, so have your questions and (laughs) thoughts ready to call in or tweet, but first, the headlines. Well, the Big Island has long been a popular place to test techniques and technologies that could be useful on the moon or even Mars. Uh, But while past projects have taken advantage of barren landscapes on the slopes of volcanoes, a new test will be set up near downtown Hilo. The Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems, or Pisces, is testing lunar concrete made with basalt from Big Island volcanoes rather than traditional concrete. To do this, Hawaii County is installing three prototype slabs of lunar concrete tomorrow. Pisces has been actively developing lunar concrete since last year in partnership with the county's research and development and public works departments. Using lava rock would make concrete-based construction on the Big Island much more sustainable. In fact, the volcanic basalt is today a waste product of local quarries. Project officials say they could greatly offset the more than 300,000 metric tons of cement that the state currently imports, and the test could also be useful as space exploration evolves into space colonization. Hawaii's basalt is very similar to something called regolith, or dirt, found on the moon and Mars, so the same process could be used to build structures there. To test the durability of lunar concrete, a section of sidewalk near Lincoln Park in Hilo will be replaced with the new material. Each of the three test slabs have different combinations of binding material, and one will even have a skeleton of basalt rebar rather than steel. Researchers will monitor the sidewalk segments over the next year to see which is the most durable. And I think, you know, this is kind of interesting because when I first read it, I thought, lunar concrete, that sounds interesting. Uh, And, you know, if they can take material that, I guess, you know, uh, closely resembles what they might find on the moon or Mars and try to make concrete out of it. That would be kind of interesting. Now, the only thing is that, um, you know, knowing how many people walk around in Hilo versus, (laughs) let's say, you know, downtown Honolulu, Mm. I'm not sure how much wear and tear this, you know, couple of slabs are Well, they'll get a lot of rain. I think that's true. I am interested in the project in the sense that we— Certainly, we don't want to import construction materials if we don't have to. And I know that they tried to do the same with mixes using lava rock and local rock when making asphalt for mm-hmm, roads. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, those experiments haven't always worked out in necessarily in terms of the durability of the roads. But if we can do this, if we can reduce what we import, it might be a, a good way to go. And yes, if we can apply these uh, uh, techniques to construction on the moon or on Mars, that's great. In fact, the second phase of this project with NASA and Pisces is to try to 3D print a building at building scale using, you know, instead of plastic, obviously, a a regolith like this or a concrete Mm -hmm, like this. So mm -hmm. that could be interesting as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, very good. Some news from the local startup scene. Blue Startups last week announced the members of its fifth cohort, companies that will now go through its 13-week Venture Accelerator program. Out of 300 applicants, only eight companies were selected. Meanwhile, Sultan Ventures announced that it was expanding its scope and its team. The boutique venture firm focuses on early-stage startups and investments, but is moving into three new areas, new ventures, strategic partnerships, and investor relations. Blue Startups offers up to $70,000 in investment 
investment and mentorship in exchange for about 6% of the company's equity. The latest cohort of companies was built around a theme of travel technology and a focus on the Asia-Pacific area. Uh, several companies have local ties. Fresher, a marketplace for fish. You joined an advocacy platform for nonprofits and businesses. VRC Hive, a hosting service for virtual reality content and total GDS and online travel booking service for the Chinese market. Meanwhile, three team members have joined Sultan Ventures to help it expand. Melly James, previously the program manager for Blue Startups, is now head of New Ventures at Sultan Ventures. Peter Rowan, meanwhile, is coming aboard as the angel in residence. Finally, marketing, branding, and strategic partnerships at Sultan Ventures will now be led by Brian Butling, lead organizer for Startup Weekend Hawaii. Tariq Sultan said in a statement, all three have contributed contributed toward building Hawaii's startup ecosystem, share our vision and values, and will extend our expertise and reach. Well, you know, we're going to have uh, Mele and, and Brian both on the show next week. And, and uh, just for, you know, the kicks and g- giggles, I, <laughs> I kind of stopped in at the Sultan Ventures uh, yesterday and, and put my phone on uh, Meerkat and did an impromptu sort of interview with uh, some of the folks over You're there. You're a live streamer. I'm again. a crazy guy. Well, you know, the, the, the Sultan, Adve- uh, Sultan Ventures was the winner of the uh, Hawaii Venture Capital Association's Investor of the Year Award. Of course, the HVCA is also led by Melly James. So there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, complimentary relationships mm-hmm. being reflected here. Uh, the, I never heard of Rowan. The, that's the one name out of the three that I wasn't familiar with. He was the uh, a VP of New Ventures at Coinstar, the company that makes money basically by ch- turning change into uh, credit at supermarkets, mm-hmm. and they invested in Redbox, which makes a similar business. So, you know, there's some solid experience. And from what I understand, Peter has been involved with Sultan Ventures for probably over the last year. So he's now kind of like official. Yeah, fantastic. Well, now moving on to the tech calendar. Tickets are now on sale for the 2015 TEDx Honolulu event taking place Saturday, March 28th at the University of Hawaii Manoa Campus Center. 11 speakers will be featured under the theme Paradigm Shift, sharing insights on topics ranging from energy to agriculture to video games. Tickets are $75 and include lunch. For more information, you can visit TEDxHonolulu.org. And signups are now open for exhibitors and presenters at the second annual Honolulu Mini Maker Fair. Makers are more than just 3D printers and circuit vendors. The inclusive event also welcomes costumers, knitters, jewelry makers, as well as local startups and companies that have a maker-friendly spirit, although the event is set for May 9th, some time away, organizers want to build their roster of makers early. So for more information, if you're a maker or think you might be, visit MakerFairHonolulu.com. And, of course, uh, the mini Maker Fair last year was at the Ilani uh, Sullivan Center. It was a pretty well-attended, fun event. Yeah, this year, too. And now joining us is Franklin Allaire, science teacher at, at the Kalani High School. And he's the chief organizer for the Science Olympiad. We want to welcome you to the show, Franklin. Hey, thank you for having me on. Now, you know, I think uh, when we first started, uh, you know, a good six and a half years ago, we had you on, and and it was probably uh, maybe I think you guys were starting well before we started, but uh, those were considered by us the early days, and, <laughs> and maybe give us a little bit of how it uh, has. Uh, sort of evolved over the last at least six and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'll I'll go back even further than that because this is our 11th year that we've been holding tournaments in Hawaii. And the first year that we had a tournament in Hawaii for Science Olympiad, we had only one school uh, participating, and that was Mililani High School. Whoa! There you go. Go Trojans. (laughs) And uh, this year we have uh, – I'm – 
I'd have to take a look at the numbers exactly, but I'm thinking uh, probably about 100 teams, and that includes elementary, middle, and high school students uh, from all over the state of Hawaii. So if you had to give us a student count, can you give us an estimate as to how many students are now involved with Science Olympiad? It's probably somewhere in the ballpark of about 2,000 to 2,400. Wow. Something because in that Because I think I remember range. when we first you know, started talking about this, it was in the hundreds. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And, uh, you know, the, the growth has just been uh, absolutely amazing. You know, there are schools and teachers that uh, set their calendars by when we're holding tournaments. Uh, there are people who the day after our state tournament are emailing us about what the schedule is for the next year mm-hmm. because their students are just so excited about the uh, the experience that they want to get going immediately. Well, oh. I've enjoyed attending the Science Olympiad, and uh, there are some open events that, that the public can visit. There are some that are not open in part because of safety, in part because um, they're more specific in terms of what the competition involves, and mm. there might be judging involved, for example. Um, but for those who have not experienced one, it's like an Olympics in the sense that there are multiple events, not necessarily sports, happening at the same time, different skill sets. You can have uh, 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 competitors that are in more than one event. Um, Just in terms of the scope, what are some of the activities in the Olympiad this year? Uh, We've got all kinds of different things this year. It's um, What's what's really amazing about Science Olympiad is that there's something there for everybody. So we've got uh, anatomy events happening. We've got forensics events where the kids are solving a crime based on physical and chemical evidence. We've got bottle rockets, which is always fun to watch, robotics events going on, chemistry, uh, just all kinds of different things for uh, because there's all different types of students that are interested in lots of different topics. Mm-hmm. Now, the exciting, uh, well, there's a lot of exciting things happening. I mean, there's like uh, the one where you have a, sort of a cantilever and you know, you put weights on it and you, <laughs> however, however many weights will break the bridge. Uh, there's the bottle rocket one and the bottle rocket one is really exciting because everybody comes up with their own sort of design mm-hmm. uh, to to maybe get well. Actually, maybe you should tell me tell us about it because <laughs> you know I I can I, I sort of uh, um, have my interpretation, but there's there's more finesse to it than than meets my uh, unexperienced eye. So tell us a little bit about the bottle rocket experience. Uh, you know, I have yet to meet somebody that isn't excited by the bottle rocket event, and uh, so the the basic gist of that event is. All of the teams get a set of rules and specifications of what they can and cannot use for the event. And the competition is really about who can build a rocket that stays up in the air the longest. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not the it's, highest. It's right? not it's necessarily like, right. about the highest. It's it, Like you were saying, it's a lot of finesse because they want it to be able to catch as much air on the way down so that it stays up uh, as just as long as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, it's interesting to see the kind of designs that they come up with. I mean, there's also, like, little robotic races and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. So um, anything new this, uh, this uh, Olympiad? Well, the events are always evolving. So uh, even events like uh, anatomy mm-hmm. and physiology will change topic areas uh, every single year. Uh, things like Dynamic Planet, one year it focused on glaciers, another year it's volcanoes. Uh, you know, it, so it's, it, things are changing all the time. Uh, this year, there's a little bit more emphasis on uh, sustainability and recycling. Uh, there was a new event this year called Green Generation, 
so it's a, allowing students to use computer programs and computer modeling to uh, to take a look at how to create a sustainable community uh, in their neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Now, if a school or a student wanted to participate, I mean, is there a curriculum that gets built throughout the year that a teacher might be able to apply in their class to prepare a student to prepare? I mean, how does that work? Uh, you know, it's really all up to uh, the, the individual schools and the coaches. Mm-hmm. Most of the coaches are teachers, and I've heard from a lot of the teachers, including myself, that uh, you know we integrate a lot of the events into our curriculum, and that's because they're all standards-based. So they meet all of the Hawaii content standards, all of the national science standards. In fact, you know, if you look at the Next Generation Science Standards, uh, Science Olympiad is considered a model program for addressing those. All right, so now coming up are the finals, the state finals for the Hawaii Science <laughs> Science Olympiad. Yes. Um, where and when and how can someone check that out? All right. It's going to be this weekend at Leeward Community College. We're going to be running events from about 8 o'clock in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. It's open to the public so they can come on down and check out some of the events like wheeled vehicle, bottle rockets, the robotics events. And uh, it's just a really great time. And, you know, if parents can bring kids down, uh, especially uh, elementary kids, because we're, we have our elementary program going on and we'd love to see them get involved. Fantastic. That's great. Well, thanks, Frank, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, now we have joining us is Ken Henserling from Hawaiian Telecom, and he's here to tell us about the upcoming HT University. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thanks, Bert. Glad to be here. Now, Ken, uh, I, I want to reveal our, our history just a bit and uh, not, to, <laughs> not to date ourselves, but, you know, Ken was uh, one of the first per- persons I met because he was involved with the internet uh you know way back when and and I think you were one of the first people that had a little demo back in the early 90s that said hey come and check this out it's called the web and I thought that was when I saw that Ken I got to tell you I said this is like looking into the future well I I'm surprised you remember that Bert that does <laughs> date you but yes we were involved uh particularly with the early development in in the early 90s of the World Wide Web. And I think that Honolulu Community College, which I was working at at the time, was sort of a a pioneer in that. And we actually had the first uh, um, interactive museum exhibit available. And uh, Kevin Hughes Mm -hmm. had gone around the campus and had taken a bunch of pictures of things. And then he created some technology that was adopted the whole idea where you can click on a URL and jump to a hyperlink, right. he actually wrote the code for that that got incorporated in what was going on. Right. So we were sort of involved in the early development of that. It was exciting, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> now, this event you have coming up, uh, Hawaii Telecom University, I think it's been going on for five years? No, this is, is our sixth year. Your sixth year? Now, I'm curious uh, where the, the name university came from. Now, you could have a, a conference, a, a, a mashup, a meetup, but um, how did the university word come into play? I think the biggest reason we use the word university is because it is a educational event. It's not really a sales pitch or anything like that. So the whole purpose, what we're interested in is helping local businesses understand emerging technologies and the different things that are happening. So rather than us getting up and telling you, hey, buy our stuff, we really are more focused on bringing in speakers from various uh, of our partner companies. And, and, you know, Bert, you've been there before. Mm -hmm. We try to include local businesses as well. And we really are offering an event that is designed to help local business professionals understand what's going on in technology and how they may 
take advantage of that technology in their own business. So is there a theme this year to the the talks? I know in past years you kind of follow something in particular. What are you working with this year? Well, uh, what we're really focused on this year is helping businesses really sort of – take advantage of the benefits of cloud services. I think we're now past the point of people wondering what is the cloud and am I, are we going to adopt this kind of a service? We're all familiar with the benefits, yet local businesses are right in the middle of trying to figure out how to really take advantage of that. So our theme is how to, how to really uh, utilize cloud services to your successful business. Right. So I, I think uh, that's one of the key themes because I, I know that uh, that's been popping up uh, on various places on our show as well. I think cybersecurity is probably another topic that is of great concern to businesses out there. Right. Uh, I think, you know, security, uh, the other aspect, mobility, you know, these are the areas, you know, you talked about the pioneering days Mm -hmm. of the World Wide Web. To me, we're right in the middle of the pioneering days again in the whole area of mobility. I mean, it's changed our society cloud-based services, the way we get entertainment content, our news, and now our businesses are being run from these type of services. So it's really an exciting time. And I know for uh, the keynote speaker, you have uh, Rodrigo Flores. He's with Accenture. That's a $30 billion company, and they certainly know the cloud. He's speaking on the power of cloud driving business innovation. Um, what are some? Who are some of the other names? Are there any local names on the program? For well, example? we do have one local name, and that's uh, Marcus Yano, who's uh, – the CIO at or COO, excuse me, at System Metrics, and mm-hmm. he's been mm-hmm. uh, around here in the local community and is very involved in offering cloud-based services. But we try to bring in experts outside of our community uh, and involve different aspects there. So we have speakers from Microsoft, from Cisco, from Dell, from Fortinet, and uh, and from Avaya. These are all names that are industry giants and leaders, and we have brought in folks that are their technology experts to share what's going on uh, in the arena. And it's usually not specific. It's more technology-focused, not a specific here, buy this product or mm-hmm, anything of that mm-hmm. nature. So with, uh, with Hawaiintel sort of uh, sponsoring this, uh, do they see a, let's say, a role in terms of how it plays into some of the services that Hawaiintel offers? I mean, you're still primarily in the network, advanced network services business. So when you speak of cloud, I mean, are we talking about getting to the cloud? You can use Hawaiintel to get to the cloud? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to give you a chance it, to, you know, kind of yeah, plug. It, it, <laughs> is, it is an important part of our services. I mean, most people think of us as the telephone company mm-hmm. and data networking and things like that. But uh, we really have spent a lot of effort investing in into data center and cloud-based services. We've had a cloud-based voice solution for some years now. We also offer other aspects of that. And so this event will help us showcase because along with the speaker seminar, there's also a technology expo, and we have 17 of our partner vendors there. Plus, we will also have a variety of demonstrations of our services that are cloud-based as well. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a few new announcements and demos Uh that you can see of services that we're in the process of rolling out. All right, Ken, so if somebody wants to attend, enroll in Hawaii Telecom University, when is the event taking place and where can they find information? Right. The event is next Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day, and it goes from 8 to 5. We serve breakfast and there's lunch and there's even a Pauhana event that's got a St. Patrick's theme, so if you join us, you can take advantage of that. If you're interested in enrolling, 
Uh, we have over 700 people that have already uh, RSVP'd. Wow, okay. Uh, so we're excited about that. But you can just go to our website, www.hawaiantel.com no, <laughs> slash business. And when you go there, you'll see a big advertisement of Hawaiian Telecom University. Sounds Fantastic. good. Thanks again for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Bert Kimura and Curtis Ho to talk about the online conference called TCC, or Teaching Colleges and Community. How has this conference kept up with the competition in the face of face-to-face conferences? Mm -hmm. We'd, of course, love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Spring and summer will bring a full schedule of rodeo events to the islands, and cowboys and girls on Kauai, ages 8 and up, will take part this weekend in the first of several competitions sanctioned by the American Cowboys Team Roping Association. We'll get the perspective of a veteran Carden Isle Paniolo tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. On the next On Being, a scientific and psychological dialogue on mind and morality. To me, the notion that experience is driven by matter is a terrific moral encouragement, ethical encouragement. Trust those sense experiences. That's what we have. That's where we live. That's real. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Bert Kimura and Curtis Ho on the line. Bert is Emeritus Professor of University of Hawaii Kapiolani Community College and Ed Tech Lecturer over at Kansai University. Curtis, meanwhile, is a professor in the College of Education at the Department of Educational Technology. He's a specialist in interactive technologies, including Internet and video for distance learning. And, of course, how have you seen uh, the uh, Ed Tech evolve over the years? And, of course, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Hey, Bert, I want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you very much. Now, and Curtis, have we got you And too? we got Curtis, and uh, we also have a caller on the line, but we'll bring them in, uh, uh, you know, in the very near future. Ah, stay but tuned. But I want to start with Bert because, you know, this is the 20th anniversary of TCC. And if I hearken back 20 years, that's like 1995, right? My math is that's correct. Reasonable math. That's reasonable math. That's reasonably <laughs> close. What was it like when you first launched TCC back in 1995? In 1995, when we first hatched the idea, mm-hmm. and actually the first event was in 1996. Okay, well, we so give or we, take. We, it took a little bit of time trying to get organized mm-hmm. and trying to conceptualize the whole idea, which was actually done by Dr. James Shimabukuro, mm-hmm. who's, who's an English professor at Kapiolani Community College. And... Jim wanted to come up with a way of providing faculty in Hawaii the opportunity to participate in these academic-type conferences that typically are on the mainland. And, of course, 
with airfare and per diem and overnight stay and transportation, you know, it would even then back then would cost about two or three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And of course, it was also at a time when, as it has always been over the years, where budgets have been limited, especially in education. Um, so he felt that instead of going overseas, he would bring the experts. He would bring the the peers and the colleagues over to Hawaii through the internet, mm-hmm. basically, and have a three day conference. And till this day, we are a three day conference, and we are an online conference. Mm-hmm. Except, and we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, we've got a special event, and so we've made a few changes, and we're trying to create sort of a hybrid. Animal. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, Bert, yeah, you know, Bert, there's nothing that, uh, Bert, Bert and Which, Bert, who, who right, um, there's nothing that uh, geeks like more than reminiscing about yes. the early days. And uh, when you say 1995, I'm thinking, oh, I just started doing school. my, w- stop it, I started <laughs> doing uh, web pages and such, you know, real video. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm curious, how did you conduct an online conference? I mean, today we have Google Hangouts, Skype, FaceTime, every various ways to interact uh, live with people over the Internet. But back then, it was not easy to get even audio transmitted over the Internet. Right, right. And, you know, I I remember uh, just looking at your recent post about about doing video while driving. (laughs) (laughs) And and the only technology that was available back then was text base and it was essentially electronic mail or email it was a like a oh so not even IRC live chat it or? was uh, there was some chat capability but we never used it until a few years later wow and so the essentially the first event was an email event if you can imagine wow that's and interesting <laughs> we were fortunate that we've had a very creative staff that could figure out how to hack into the the mail server and allow us to aggregate some of the content so we could kind of create the semblance of like a a, a BBS, bulletin mm-hmm. board type ah, discussion. I see, I see. So it was still well. asynchronous then? I it mean, was definitely asynchronous, uh-huh, and it was uh-huh. asynchronous for a long time uh, until, you know, until at least 10 or 12 or 15. I can't even remember when it was. You so, know, technology changes so fast that you oh. can't. It's like a blur, right? <laughs> so we want to welcome uh, Curtis Ho to uh, to Bite Marsh Cafe and uh, get your perspectives on this sort of uh, historical retrospective of TCC. Welcome to uh, Bite Marsh Cafe, Curtis. Aloha, everyone. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, uh, can you um, um, you know can you recall twenty years ago what it was like when it well, first started? That's pretty hard, but <laughs> just so much has changed. I, I actually started maybe four years into TCC, so it was already a viable um, conference. And I do remember um, using email and everything being asynchronous and just waiting for uh, replies. And so uh, you spent a lot of time staring at the screen, waiting for uh, messages to come out and then responding to them. but you know the, the the exchanges were meaningful. Uh, you felt like you had a community of learners. You, you got to know them, their personalities, just just through the uh, text messages. Mm-hmm. Eventually evolved to um, a more like bulletin board, where it was um, more organized uh, forums. And then the real change came when we started using uh, web conferencing, and that's when uh, everything was synchronous, and you really felt like you were at a at a conference. Uh, and it has involved. You know, we do have uh, opportunity to include video, though uh, we don't feel it's as important. Um, I think it's more important to see the uh, slides and hear the presenter and, and, and talk to them and also text to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenges with bandwidth is also another reason why we don't use video um, 
every time. We do it once in a while. Mm-hmm. For now, example, um, as, as we talk about it, uh, for, for the on-campus uh, portion of the conference, uh, we'll be streaming live video for now, the keynote speakers. Now, the last, the last question that will uh, uh, harken back to the uh, 20 years the ago. Last the last geezer question. Yeah, the last old geezer question <laughs> is, uh, what was it that um, really drove the topic for the email, let's say, session that you would participate in? What was the, the topic of conversation for this sort of email conversation? Wow, that, that's far back. But, you know, uh, TCC has always been about uh, professional development, about professional practice. And so just the sharing of ideas about how to teach online, but not only online, just in general, using technology to teach and improve your classroom. That was, I think, was what drove a lot of the the people to come back year after year to be able to learn new things from each other. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't only the experts talking about it. It was uh, people from all levels of, of teaching using technology. And this was the interesting part because you never knew what kinds of questions would come up. And uh, so there's always uh, this kind of discussion that evolves. And um, we had hoped that it would you know continue, continue throughout the year. Of course, that's really hard to do. But... Uh, Year after year, people came back. Mm-hmm. Now, Bert, um, you know, for teaching colleges and uh, co- uh, con- the teaching colleges conference, um, I, 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 Bert was the my my co-host. Bert, Bert <laughs> was telling me about your, you know, your your extensive history and knowledge, and also, you know, you were your uh, emeritus professor at KCC, but now also a, uh, a lecturer, lecturer at Kansai University. So I, I'm trying to understand the scope of this conference. You said that rather than trying to get all of the experts in one room physically, you can bring them to you via these technologies, yeah, exactly. via this online conference. But how far did you throw that net geographically to to enrich this conference? Yeah, it's actually worldwide. And so we do have the word worldwide attached to the event as, as well. And so typically we may have people representing maybe about eight up to about 20 different countries throughout the world. And and actually that's one of the challenges when you think about it because most people want to be active during the day, right, the typical 9 to 5 day. And and yet when you think about it, 9 o'clock here, it's 9 p.m. somewhere else in the world, Mm -hmm, clearly. mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. And early in the morning or late at night, lunchtime. So, I, you know, whenever I'm on the air, I sort of have to say, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, mm-hmm. uh, because you don't, you never know where the people are come from. But uh, come from because it's asynchronous, though. I would imagine that if I have to sleep during <laughs> some portion of this three-day conference, it is possible also, given the format, to catch up exactly. if you read fast. Right. Yeah. So we we record every we archive basically oh, every see. session. So any sessions available asynchronous, essentially on demand, whenever you want to view it or whenever it's possible for you to. To view it, but we we try to spread our speakers. We we have what we call regional speakers. So we always try to feature three individuals: one from Asia, Australia, uh, one from the Americas, and then one from Europe or Europe and the Middle East, mm-hmm. East because the time zones are similar. And uh, have them talk about you know their particular experience, so that people can also have the experience or the opportunity to hear about educational technology and how it's occurring or how it's developing around the world as well. Now, I'm curious, how or at what point in time did the, uh, you know, sort of, it's called, I guess, learning times or the, you know, the the Blackboard kind of platform, when did that get introduced uh, to uh, this conference? Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, there's sort of a historical reason for that. There was a company called Horizon Live, Mm -hmm. and there were two individuals 
uh, in that company that felt that uh, Horizon wasn't doing enough for the educational sector. And their background was more connected to education. So they had they decided that, um, and, and just by coincidence, I had invited one of the one of these two guys to to do a keynote session, and I think uh, Jonathan Finkelstein, who's actually one of the founders of this company, small company called Learning Times out of New York, uh, had uh, presented and enjoyed and saw the potential of what we were doing. So a few years later, we actually met up in Wisconsin at a at a conference, a, a regular physical conference. And uh, they asked us if, if we could partner mm-hmm. in, this, uh, in this venture. And they brought to us the ability of providing uh, basically a stable platform for actually conducting these activities. And at the moment, we, we actually use multiple uh, platforms mm-hmm. and we continue to experiment. So Blackboard Collaborate is one of them. It was originally called Horizon Live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it, it merged or was bought out by Blackboard. Um, Adobe Connect is the other platform right. that we use. And mm-hmm. the third platform that we're experimenting with for the first time is Livestream. Livestream.com. Livestream.com mm. uh, to see how that platform might work and also because of its ability to reach a wider audience. Right. Actually, um, yeah, that, that would probably be why maybe we found each other's uh, writing because I was playing with Ustream, Livestream, uh, Justin TV, and then now Meerkat, as Bert mentioned before the break. I mean, live streaming is is still evolving quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, we, so we need to continue to experiment with this whole thing just to sort of stay with it, if, yeah. you, if you know what I mean. Now, Curtis, your background is in interactive technologies, internet, and video for distance learning. Uh, do you uh, make presentations, or are you working primarily behind the scenes to make sure this conference happens? I'm kind of wondering how much of the conference is almost meta in the sense that you're going to be talking about the platforms you're using to conduct the conference, to talk <laughs> yeah. about the I, I know what you mean. So I, <laughs> I, I stay away from doing presentations. I do it at other conferences. I see. Uh, for this one, I'm behind the scenes uh, with Bert uh, d- doing all the nitty-gritty work. Um, but my um, experience with interactive te- technologies, just to show you how, how old I am since you can't see me, <laughs> was uh, when I started uh, in the ed tech program, educational technology. Uh, we were doing interactive technologies using the video disc. Uh, the v- video disc and computer and making interactive programs. Uh, we we're also um, shooting our own videotape and make- making interactive videotape. So it, we've come a long way now, f- of course, uh, from uh, doing the more um, digital with analog <laughs> to to completely digital. And I think, um, as Bert mentioned, Bert Kimura mentioned, uh, you know, we continue to look at newer technologies because uh, it's, it's going to change. And what we found is that... Um, you know, we're using social media more and more uh, to um, sort of um, have a background stream going along with the, uh, the conferences, the conference presentations. So we're trying to uh, be more inclusive and have uh, more of a social presence along with the other activities that we have at the, uh, the uh, uh, virtual conference, but also at, uh, we're going to try the, uh, the live conference as well. So we, we are still looking for newer and newer things to do. I want to talk a little bit more about the, uh, you know, the incorporation of, of, of social media, but we're, we're talking to Bert Kimura and Curtis Ho, both from uh, the uh, College of uh, Education and also very much involved with organizing 
TCC or Teaching Colleges and Community. Uh, if you have a question or comment, feel free to give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, we do want to welcome uh, Frank uh, Jumawan, who is one of the uh, Ph.D. candidates uh, at the College of Ed, and, and he's one of the, um, I guess, one of your students, right, Bert, uh, who is involved with EdTech. And, uh, Frank, we want to welcome you to Bite Marks Cafe. Hello, everyone. So, so Frank, uh, what part of uh, the sort of education technology are, are you most uh, involved with? Um, as far as um, my courses? Yeah, as far as uh, your your sort of your PhD studies, um, I'm looking into um, into um, gaming, gamification, ah. and online learning. And is there <clears throat> is there any uh, aspect of that that you are uh, perhaps um, looking at showcasing during TCC? Um, not at this time. <clears throat> um, previously, I've done um, things with. Um, Second life, ah, second it, life. It was pretty interesting. It was a, a it was a really interesting experience, um, and, and it was held two years ago. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you know I I've been one of these uh, long holdouts for <laughs> Second Life, and <laughs> I always get laughed at when I bring it up. But has Second Life ever been part of TCC? Yes, it has. Okay, we've well, had it. We've yeah. we've actually done receptions. So ah. virtual receptions, if uh-huh, you like, uh-huh. in Second Life. And one of the cool things about it is that at least you could, you know, entertain each other with music, with live music, in fact, we had. And also all these virtual drinks. You know, that's one of the issues when you're just sort of doing things electronically. Now, could you tell us a little bit more about this gamification? Because that's also something we talk on the show periodically, whether even when people are applying it to government services mm-hmm. and, and other things as well. Health, certainly you hear a lot about where you can have achievements, you can share, uh, you can get badges and things like that. What are some of the examples of what you are specifically studying uh, for gamification in education? I'm possibly looking at elements such as um, experience points, badges, um, I'm looking at um, courses that actually use those elements and to see what is more engaging, which aspects, which would be really interesting, mm-hmm. rather than rather than just looking at the whole gamification of of the course, maybe using elements just to make the course engaging. So maybe not a, a, a high score screen in the classroom as yeah. people answer questions and they're just trying to beat each other. Something a little more discreet and and in smaller pieces. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Now, Curtis, uh, I wanted to get back to something that you had brought up with regard to social media and how is that being incorporated into TCC? Does it play a role in in any significant way? Yes, very definitely. But you know, I, I'd like to defer to. Frank, who has headed the social media team for the past few years, but Frank has taken a new job at the Kamehameha Schools, and he's also trying to finish his PhD in our program. So he's kind of taking a more um, mentoring um, role in uh, this year's conference. But uh, Frank, uh, you're you're still involved with the social media team. Want you uh, describe what what kinds of plans you have for this uh, this conference? Yes, um, thanks, Curtis. Um, as far as um, Incorporating the social media um, tools um, involved, um, we incorporated like um, Twitter. Um, we also incorporated blogging 
as well as um, the Facebook page. So we are um, basically trying to um, encourage our participants to to basically interact with other participants. So we're going to incorporate um, activities in Facebook, like for example, Birds Challenge on what's your um, what's your view um, on your desktop, what's your workstation, and so forth. And also, we incorporate um, badges, digital badges, um, for any um, activities that they have um, that ha they have achieved um, or criteria that they have achieved. So lots of activities involving social media. Oh, very interesting. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, interested in how you might direct people into different kinds of platforms during the conference. You want to hold that thought? We'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with Bert Kimura, Curtis Ho, and Frank uh, Jimawan about EdTech and online conferences. And, of course, how does TCC keep up with competition with those pesky face-to-face -face conferences? We'd, of course, love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, you can reach us at 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. HPR's early birds have given us wings, and we'd like to sing the praises of the 921 donors who called or pledged online this past weekend. You've set a record for early giving to the station and shown the way to a shorter on-air fund drive. Now we need even more of HPR's 175,000 weekly listeners to be birds of a feather and flock together. Please consider a donation before April 14th. You'll be rewarding yourself and our entire listening community with a stronger public radio station. Why, if everyone listening contributed and did so early, we could even do away with pledge drives entirely. Imagine that. It's your call. Please go to our secure donation page at hawaiipublicradio.org or call us during business hours at 955-8821. This is Gene Schiller. HPR music director, and on behalf of the entire station, thank you. <laughs> Whoa, nice. that scared me. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Bert Kimura, Curtis Ho, and Frank Jumuan about TCC and online conferences. And, of course, what topics draw the most interest at TCC? And you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Right before the break, we were talking about social media and how that is being incorporated into the conference. And what I am curious about is if you're taking a session and you're, let's say, in one of the uh, online platforms like, like uh, Collaborate and, and um, you know, hearing a, let's say, lecturer talk about a particular topic, uh, Frank, I mean, what, where do you, do you direct people as a result of that? discussion to a Facebook page or a Twitter account? Is there a hashtag? or How is, <laughs> how is social media being leveraged yeah. into this uh, environment? Yes. Um, so we basically use the hashtag um, TCC20F. So whatever discussion is, is being made, any questions, um, um, we use that hashtag um, throughout um, Facebook, um, Twitter, mm -hmm. as well as um, Google+. And again, that was uh, that you said that was TCC two zero TH. I'm reading the tweet stream now. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. Now, uh, uh, Bert, maybe uh, you can expand on that. Now, when you go to a in person conference, as as passe as that is, and you're sitting there and you're listening to a keynote presenter or a panel conversation, 
you would normally turn to Twitter kind of as a back-channel conversation. Mm-hmm. So we're listening to this coming from the stage, and I'm going to say, this guy is really smart, or I'm not sure I really agree with that point of view. And there's sort of this meta conversation happening parallel to the event. But your conference is already online, so it's, it seems even more mind-bending that you might have an online conversation in the platform that the, the 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 main platform, the Blackboard platform, but that there could be an entire argument happening on Twitter or on Facebook. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we can have actually multiple back channels when you think about that, mm-hmm. and social media does allow us uh, to do that as well. I think that during the conference, one of the you know perhaps the best way to leverage social media is to use it as an engagement tool to get people more engaged with the topics. More, they have an opportunity to engage with the speakers as well. And the online platform itself does have a, a essentially a chat stream that you can communicate specifically with questions. But that second back channel could happen among the participants as well. I mean, when you go to a conference and, and you're sitting in, in an audience, especially a large audience, you know, 90% of the people are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So you have that kind of, back channel that's going on anyway. Mm-hmm. So the ele- the technology does allow us to continue that kind of activity online. And, and but at the same time, part of it is getting your audience, getting your participants to, to see the potential and to start to use it. You know, interestingly enough, faculty are the slowest to adopt new technologies. Oh, I didn't um, say that. I'm glad I sure didn't say that one. <laughs> I mean, this is one reason why we need people like Frank and some of the other graduate students that we've put together to help us with the social media side. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, between Curtis and I, we've got enough going and and we've got enough to worry about in terms of just the content of the event. Curtis, can you talk to that a little bit? I mean, given your background. Do you agree with uh, what Bert Kimura just said? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. uh, We could not do this conference without the help of our students. So over the years, Bert and I have taught many, many classes, and we've uh, gotten, gotten to know a lot of the students and we run this conference basically on volunteerism. Uh, so we ask students, and, and we feel that uh, they, they're gaining, um, it's a win-win situation where they gain professional experience in, in being able to participate in, in a conference uh, and to, to do it at different levels. So we have different roles for them, um, from um, organizing uh, um, virtual classroom or virtual session facilitators to you know, who's going to be doing Twitter, who's going to be doing Facebook, who's going to be blogging, uh, so there, and, and also doing other kinds of tech support. So we do uh, rely heavily on volunteers, and, and most of them come from our students or graduates from our program. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think this is, uh, you know, uh, the reason why I think it, it ties in so well with our, our, our department. And by the way, the name of the, the department has changed from uh, educational technology to learning design and technology. Uh, we just changed it this year. But uh, basically, the role of the department is um, to lend itself to having faculty, you know, be, become advisors and be part of the, the conference, but also mainly having our students be participants, both as presenters, but as, um, as organizers and as uh, people who provide the support throughout. Not only the three days of the conference, but many, many weeks prior to that involved in the planning. Now, Bert, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Curtis just mentioned that it depends on volunteers, and that's true of many of the the great projects that we feature here on the show. But that raises the question of how can something like TCC, I mean, certainly it's proven its longevity over the years, but how can it stay sustainable? Or is it always safely in the hands of volunteers? Is, Is Frank, as a student, the next generation to carry that ball forward? 
you know, that's a very good question. And, and we've been fortunate in that we've been able to get volunteers that have continued to work with us. And some of them have been with us for a good 15 years in helping in one way or the other. And uh, at least my perception, and I've talked about this with, with Curtis as well, is that we needed to engage the, the stu- people while they were graduates and before they actually you know, found work within the academic sector and start getting them engaged and getting them involved now so that you know, essentially it's an investment for the future as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how we try to sustain the event over time. It, a, a great deal of it is, I guess, behind the scenes and what you do coming up into the event as well, how you relate to people, especially relate to people online. Because you know some of the people that are coming together, I have not seen since the beginning of the event. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of them have actually participated from the first event. So, and others I've met at conferences or other venues as well. So, you know, it's it's a kind of situation where um, we've, been, we've been very fortunate to grab the right kinds of volunteers uh, in order to, in order to, to make this happen and to also keep the the cost low so for participants as I well. guess so, so to that point I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious maybe over the course of the last uh, let's say five years seven years how have you seen the conference uh, let's say grow is it is it is it growing in in terms of attendance is it pretty much the same you know um, audience over the course of those years yeah, again, that that's another situation where if we just look at audience numbers, I think we would say that it, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's low. It's been up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been having audiences as low as maybe 350, 350 mm. people to as many as 14, 1,600 people as well. So, And it's not in a, in a particular, there's not a particular trend. It seems like it's a timing kind of situation, sometimes a funding kind of situation as far as the participants is, are concerned and, mm-hmm. and our ability to interact. So what is it? What, what are we looking at for the twentieth anniversary? Probably I mean, we, somewhere on the three fifty to five hundred mm-hmm, uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing is that we never know. Um, being online, we never know until maybe two days up mm-hmm. before the mm-hmm. event. People tend to just sort of jump in uh, whenever they find out or whenever they're ready to go, and it might be just a day or two in advance, kind of thing. Now, Frank, this conference, this uh, conference is coming up. The twentieth anniversary conference, uh, the seventeenth through the nineteenth. Although you're very busy, it sounds like. Is there any particular uh, session on the program you're most excited about? Any uh, speakers or experts that you are particularly proud that uh, is on the program? I I think the one speaker that I I'm really looking forward to is Alan Levine. Um, He his last um, keynote session was very entertaining. Um, He's all about creating content and. I'd like to see more of that, more of that enthusiasm from his end, and more interactivity with the participants at TCC um, creating content. Mm, and certainly with blogging and such, uh, con- even when you're talking education for sure, but that's now part a big part of business now, and content marketing is mm-hmm. a big deal. Now, how about you, Curtis, uh, for the 20th? Um, what are you looking most forward to? Well, <clears throat> mainly um, because we're doing this um, – face-to-face version, I'm interested in seeing some of the people that we've only met virtually, mm. and now we get a chance to see them, which is one of the reasons why we decided to do a special um, type of session uh, for the 20th, is just to be able to see people face-to-face. But the, other than that, I think uh, Alan Levine and uh, Howard Rangel 
who's um, going to be keynoting on the 19th. Um, Alan would be on the 18th. Uh, Howard has uh, is a very um, dynamic speaker. You know, he I don't know if you know his background, but he was the uh, originator of the whole Earth catalog way way back. Ah, okay, right. And uh, he's written several books, and he teaches at Stanford, and he, you know, he he's really into he, social media. He wrote a well, book so. called uh, Smart Moths, right? Yes. So he's um, always fun to see, and and I'm I'm just anxious to see uh, what he has in store this time. Um, Stella Perez also is another keynote speaker, and she has a lot of knowledge in uh, higher education, in um, especially community colleges, and um, how open learning and other kinds of um, 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 other kinds of um, activities will for the uh, the um, the market in in. Um, so when you when you talk about open learning, are you talking about those? Uh, MOOCs, the massively online, uh, open, online open online courses. Yes, yes, that as well as other kinds of resources, open educational resources, things that um, I know. It's you know um, we tend to think of maybe education as a business sometimes, but there's a movement to make things free. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so mm-hmm. with the Creative Commons and open educational resources and this whole concept of open learning, I think it it, it provides access to a lot of people from throughout the world who normally couldn't afford it. Now, uh, Bert, we in addition to the keynote speakers, you have something called regional speakers. What what yes. is that about? Yeah, the regional speakers are individuals that are going to be presenting online, but they come from as I, I think I mentioned a little earlier that they come from different areas of the of the world. Basically, we look for someone in Europe or the Middle East, and we try to get someone from Australia and Asia. Uh, to present, and we also want ask them to invite their colleagues to participate or attend the event as well. So we sort of make their particular uh, presentations freely available to the mm. public. So you have uh, Kenichi Kubota um, at uh, in Japan, Mark Kircher from Finland. Yes. That's fascinating, and mm-hmm. Alice Bedard Voorhees from the University of Denver. So I guess they're also going to be lording over their their time zones in a way. Essentially, yeah. G- geeky question. How, is there a tool that you're using to help, help everyone keep the time zones straight? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they can use their own mobile phones these days. That's still but, a lot of um, math. And then you have daylight savings that just Yeah, came but, in. you know, we still have to provide ways of finding the time uh, because ideally you'd like for the session to show up in your own time zone mm-hmm. and uh, have it sort of converted. But what we've done is... In order in the planning process, in order for all of the presenters to be able to understand what time it's going to be in that in their in their particular time zone, what we've done is use the website timeanddate.com, ah, okay, mm-hmm. yes. which has been very valuable and, and they've got enough tools in there that allows us to put a link in so that you know we can say, Okay, next March um, at eight o'clock Hawaii time, it's this is what it's going to be in your time zone. Are there any particular sessions that you're kind of most intrigued about? What are what are some of the indicators of new trends in this area? Well, you know, essentially the Web 2.0 type of tools. Mm-hmm. You know that particular that particular terminology. A lot of faculty have been experimenting with various types of tools um, in terms of their teaching and learning activities, and and of course some of the social media tools as well. So. This is an opportunity for them to report, essentially, on what their experiences have, have been like, uh, suggest some best, best practices that they could share mm-hmm. with other faculty as well. Now, this um, is open to 
professors to, I guess, uh, anybody in college, as well as anybody in public school, the teaching, teachers and faculty? Yeah, there's some overlap. I mean, our main target audience are faculty and staff basically in higher education uh, throughout throughout the world, essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, uh, you know, the topics overlap, so oftentimes we'll invite people that may have a better view of uh, secondary education or K-12 education, because as we mentioned to our uh, faculty and staff, these are going to be the students that are coming your way. And so it would be helpful to know what they're doing mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, I cover a lot of uh, ed tech events on my blog, and there's unconferences mm-hmm. and events like that. This is one that I think is interesting because it's a, it's a full program. It's several days, but you can attend without getting dressed if you really don't want to. That's I mean, right. Uh, I think definitely. That, <laughs> but I see tablet PCs, augmented reality, Google Glass, uh, website design, you know, for better engagement, uh-huh. how to keep your students from sleeping. I think this is, this, this is pretty current stuff. Uh, so, Curtis, um, if somebody went, what was interested in participating in it, and we've talked about the platform that you're using, do they need anything in particular, or is a relatively current computer all they need? I mean, how how do you how do you prepare for TCC? Yeah, I think you know just making sure there's a test um, that you can do uh, at the website uh, where you can just make sure that your um, your laptop or your computer works. Um, there's nothing special. I think with the uh, with the uh, Blackboard, Collaborate, there re- it requires some kind of launcher, uh, and that's to be done ahead of time. But once you do that, then, then you're ready to go. Uh, any of the Adobe Connect um, sessions should be uh, no problem at all. So, um, and that as well as a headset, um, uh, if, if you're going to be talking, you know, you have a chance to talk to the, uh, the presenter, it's best that you have a headset that you don't, so that you don't get any kind of background noise and feedback coming on. Okay, good. And Frank, if you wanted to follow, without even attending, it seems like you might be able to get an idea of what's being discussed if you follow that hashtag. What was that hashtag again? It's um, TCC20TH. All right. Well, I'm going to watch that for sure. Sounds good. And uh, so we want to thank Bert Kimura, who lectures over at uh, Kansai University. And, of course, uh, Curtis Ho, he's a professor over at the uh, Department of, oh, gosh, Learning Design and Technology. There, there you go. go. <laughs> the brand, the newly renamed department. And Frank uh, Jimowan, PhD candidate uh, over there at the uh, College of Ed. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for Thank having me. You're welcome. Ryan. Thank you. All right. Thank and you. if you want to attend or find more information, you go to tcchawaii.org. Thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. If you uh, uh, have any questions, you can join us next week when we learn about the new face of entrepreneurship at Sultan Ventures. That's right. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show at bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. Of course, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a Swedish band called The Amazing and a song called Picture You. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.